0: Hey, good morning, everyone. I am really excited to start this new teaching series where, over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapters 2 and 3, which uh, tell us what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Revelation. We'll be in Revelation 2 and 3 over the next few weeks, but today we are going to start in chapter 1 just to give us a little bit of context and Um, As you're turning there, uh, I've been asked this question several times, and I figured um, there might be some more people who have the same question, and so I figured I'd just answer it for everyone. And the question is, why are we only studying the letters to the seven churches and not the entire book of Revelation, Uh, you know, like we've done in all the other studies that we've had here in the church, and, you know, Revelation is such an amazing book And uh, I do plan at some point in the future wanting to teach through this entire book. In fact, I have a desire to teach the entire Bible to this church. Um, But the short answer is that after Easter, we are starting at the table, which is our home groups ministry. And at that time, we want to go through the book of Colossians together. We want to go through that book as a body, as we meet in homes. And so we had this seven-week Uh, gap that was leading up to Easter. And when I thought about seven weeks, my mind immediately went to the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And after praying about it and talking with the other elders, we decided that would just fit fantastically. What do you guys think? All right. So it really is just a practical reason. It's not that we're intimidated to teach the rest of the book. Uh, But that being said, As we start this series, I do want to start in Revelation chapter 1, like I said, just to set the context. And so today we're going to have a little bit of a longer introduction before we actually look at the letter that was written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, And so would you just join me looking at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read the first three verses here. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ For the time is near. All right, so there's two things that I want to point out from the opening words of this book. Number one is that the book of Revelation is one revelation. Notice that it's not the book of revelations. You know, some people will. Unconsciously add an S when referencing this book. And, you know, there are things that are shown in this book that must soon take place, but let's not lose sight of the fact that the entirety of this book is one singular revelation. And what is that one revelation? Well, it says right there, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this book is about Jesus. It is about who Jesus is. It is about what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I wanna point out here is that there is a blessing from God in this book. Did you notice that it says there that when we read aloud the words of this prophecy, and when we hear it, and when we keep it, there is a blessing from God in it. And so we're going to be blessed by God over the next seven weeks. Really, God has a special blessing for the next seven weeks. Perhaps not as much of a blessing as we would have had if we had studied the entire book. Um, and you can give me as much of a hard time as you want for that. I guess I just didn't want our church to be fully blessed. Just, just a seven-week blessing. But my encouragement for you is to read this whole book. You know, some people are often intimidated to approach the book of Revelation. And, and if you keep those two things in mind, that this book is about Jesus and that as you read it and you hear it and you keep it, you will be blessed by God. And so let me do this, let me read aloud from Revelation chapter one, verse four to 20. Let me read this entire chapter and I'm not gonna make any comments on this section. I'm just gonna read it out loud and, and you do this. You listen with your ears and listen closely to how Jesus is revealed to us. And then as you hear these words, I believe God is gonna bring a blessing to your spirit even this morning. So are you ready? You can follow along, but listen to the words that the Apostle John wrote to the seven churches. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, And those that are to take place after this. For the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hands and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you with that revelation of who you are and of what you have done and Jesus, it draws us into you. In some ways, it makes us want to fall as though dead because it is so powerful as we consider the majesty of all that you are. But we thank you, Jesus, that you put your hand upon us and you hold the seven stars in your right hand. And Jesus, I pray you'd have your hand upon this church right now. I pray, Jesus, you walk in the midst of this church this morning. And God, that you would see us and that you would know us and that you would speak to us in the things that we need to hear today. And so, God, I pray that we would have ears to hear what you are saying. Open our hearts, open our ears to receive your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, each week as we get into this series, I'm going to give a little bit of background on the book of Revelation and on these churches that were located in Asia Minor. And I really wanna get to this first letter, right? This letter to the church in Ephesus. But really quickly, I wanna say this, is that this revelation of Jesus Christ was given to John when he was exiled on an island called Patmos. We're told that he was there on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was just sort of imprisoned there to keep him from spreading the gospel. And on the Lord's day, John was in the Spirit, and he had a vision. And in this vision, he saw Jesus. And the way that John saw Jesus was described there for us in chapter 1. And and at the end there, we notice that Jesus had, holding in his right hand, seven stars. And John also saw that there were these seven lampstands that Jesus was walking around in the midst of. And so Jesus tells John that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. We see that in verse 20. Now, Jesus told his apostle John to write down what he had seen in this vision. And and because Jesus had some things that he wanted to say to these seven churches that were located in Asia Minor— he, he sent this letter, this book that John wrote down. And if you were to look at a map, and I didn't get a map. I'm not that kind of preacher where I have a bunch of PowerPoint slides behind me. I'm sorry. But you could look at a map in the back of your Bible or on your phone at a, at a different time. But if you look to a map, the seven cities where these seven churches were located would have followed something like a postal route. And so Jesus has some mail that he wants to send to these churches. And so John writes down Jesus' words just as he says them. Now if you were to go from the island of Patmos where John was exiled and you were to go straight across to the mainland of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, the first stop would have been the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is the only city of the seven churches that we'll look at that is spoken about in the book of Acts. Now, we know from Acts chapter 19 how this church was started. We, we see that there were some disciples that were there in Ephesus who were baptized with the Holy Spirit, because up until that time, they only knew about the baptism of John, and, and they sort of said, we haven't even so much as heard that there is a Holy Spirit And then we know that after that, there was this great church that was born there. There was this thriving church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul even spent three years teaching in this place, more than any other place that he taught. He taught for three years, teaching in a school called Tyrannus, there in the city of Ephesus. And we're told that from that city the gospel spread out so that all of Asia heard the message of Jesus. Now this church in Ephesus, it had some really great leaders. It had leaders like Priscilla and Aquila who ministered there. We know that Paul ministered there. Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. And even reliable history tells us that the apostle John who wrote this book in the latter years of his life in ministry, he also pastored in the city of Ephesus. You know, Ephesus was a very influential city, and it's partly because of its location. It was located on the coast of Ionia, right on the upper part of the Mediterranean Sea, and it, was, it had this thriving port industry. It was the connection point for all the trade that would have come into the mainland of Asia Minor. And so everything and everyone passed through this city. And so the city of Ephesus became this sort of eclectic melting pot of culture and race and religion. We know that Ephesus was the center of worship for Artemis, also known as Diana, who was this Greek goddess that had a temple dedicated to her there in Ephesus, and it became one of the seven wonders of the world. And you know, much of the persecution that came upon the church of Ephesus was because people were leaving that idolatrous worship of Diana, and they were becoming followers of Jesus. And so Ephesus was this happening place. It was this happening church. And when Jesus writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, it was some 40 years after the church had been started. 40 years. And Jesus had some things that he wanted to say to them. You know, Jesus is going to have some important things to say to every church that he writes to. And these words of Jesus were Certainly, for real historical churches, things that were going on in that day, in that time, among those people. But like all of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit wants to take these words and He wants to bring us to us today. So, we're going to be prepared over the next seven weeks to be learning history, sort of like what I just gave you uh, things about the city of Ephesus. But we also wanna be prepared to examine our hearts before the Lord. We want to have God's word challenge us and strengthen us as a church here in Palos Verdes, California, 2024. And so if there is any city, I would say, that we as a church are most like in terms of geographically, and culturally, I would say we're, we're probably most like the church in Ephesus. Now, I wonder if the same thing would be true about their spiritual condition. We'll see what the Spirit has to say to us today. And Listen, one of the ways that we could look at the letters to the seven churches would be as if Jesus were to come here to Calvary Chapel, Palace Verdes, over these seven Sundays. And if he were to get up and he'd give a message which are these letters, and as he would give them to us, how might they strike a chord in our hearts? How might they speak to us? And how can we draw closer to Jesus because of them? And that really is the case. Jesus will be speaking across these seven Sundays through these seven letters. Perhaps you have what's called a red letter edition in your Bible And you might notice that these letters are read because they are the words of Jesus. But the question is, will we have ears to hear what Jesus wants to say to us? And so, just to give you a little bit of a framework of how we're gonna be going through these letters, there really is sort of a structure to these letters. Each letter follows sort of this pattern where first, Jesus will address the letter to the angel of the church of the city. Second, Jesus will give a revelation of himself, something that we saw in chapter one that's going to be relevant to what is going on in that city. Third, we're going to see a commendation, something that the church was doing well in that Jesus is going to encourage them with. And then fourth, we're going to see a correction something within the church that Jesus will say needs to change. And so he's going to rebuke them and us and call us to repentance. And then fifth, we'll see that there's an exhortation given to the church to do something about what he's saying. And then finally, what we're going to see is a promise that is given for those who respond to what Jesus says. So that's sort of the pattern as we get into that. So let's see what Jesus has to say to the church in Ephesus. And since God's word is living and active, we ought to be able to hear what Jesus wants to say to us as a church this morning. Are you guys ready for that? All right, let me read this first letter, the letter to the church of Ephesus. This starts in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, To him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. Unless you repent, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we come before you. We want to hear these words from you. God, speak to us right now. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in verse one, John is told to write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And what is this angel? Well, when we typically hear the word angel, we automatically probably think of those spiritual beings, right? Those creatures that God created that maybe, you know, have these wings and surround God's throne and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We think of these angelic celestial beings. Now, the word angel used here in the Greek is the word angelos, where we get our word Los Angeles, right? And, and it can simply be translated messenger, now, this word is used in other places in scripture not to refer to you know, heavenly angelic beings, but also as earthly human messengers. For instance, in Mark chapter one, verse two, the word angelos is used to refer to John the Baptist when it says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who, rep- who will prepare your way. Now look, some Believe and teach. It's probably going to be the hardest word for us to interpret from this section. Everything else seems to be pretty clear. But some people believe and teach that these letters were sent to spiritual angelic beings. To angels, as we think of them, that were assigned sort of as guardians that were watching over the churches. Now look, I have no problem with angels watching over God's churches. In fact, scripture tells us that angels do watch us. Right now, angels are watching us and they are absolutely thrilled by the things that they're seeing, especially when the church receives grace. They're just like, what? This is awesome. So I have no issue with angels. However, I believe and teach that the word angelos in this particular context refers to the human leaders of the church, the pastors of the churches. Now, I'm not for one minute saying that. Pastors are celestial spirit beings. Far from that. <laughs> but what I am saying is that Jesus uses pastors as his messengers to his churches. And the reason I believe this is because later on in our text, the angel of the church will be called to repent. And angels cannot repent. That is something that God gives his grace To those who are made in his image. And so Jesus tells John to write this letter to the pastors. And perhaps since John was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, he would have perked up right here. Oh, wait, hold on. This is for me. And that should be the case for all of us, right? To to perk up, to listen closely, because this message is not just for an angel, this message is not just for a pastor. This message is not just for sort of a general church as a whole. It is all of those things, but this message is also for you, for every single one of you. And so then in the second half of verse 1, Jesus is now going to give a revelation of himself. A certain attribute that we saw in chapter one, where John had a vision of Jesus on the Lord's day. And so Jesus says, John, write this down. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So what Jesus is saying is, these are my words. These aren't the words of a pastor. These are my words to the churches. And I am the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand. And I walk among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is saying, I am the head of the church. I'm in charge. But what in the world are these seven stars and these seven lampstands? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us in chapter 1, verse 20. Because if Jesus didn't reveal this mystery to us, we would have no clue what these stars and lampstands are. And this is the great thing about the book of Revelation. The things that Jesus wants to reveal, he's going to reveal. And so Jesus said, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand... And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so the seven stars are the messengers of Jesus' words in the churches of Asia Minor. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches in Asia Minor. And so we could say that he is addressing both the leaders and the congregation. He's addressing the church as a whole. And Jesus holds the messengers. He holds the church leaders in his right hand. And Jesus's right hand speaks about his authority. Now, this is really good for me to know as a messenger to the church, that I am held in the right hand Hand of Jesus, that I am in the grip of his authority. That brings me both comfort and it challenges me. But Jesus also walks in the midst of the church, he sees everything as he walks among us. That's also great to know because I have no clue what goes on in this many people's lives. But you know who does? Jesus does. You know, when I stand up here and I preach from God's word, I just want to preach it faithfully and let the Holy Spirit do the work. But it really is true that Jesus can walk around in the midst of this church right now and know every single thought in every person's head. He knows if you're attentive. He knows if you're bored to death. He knows If you're eager to hear about him, he knows. If you're not, he knows everything. He knows us completely. And that's sobering, isn't it? Let's continue on into verse two. It says, as we come into the commendation, this part where Jesus is now gonna tell us what he knows. Because Jesus walks in the midst of the lampstands. He knows his churches completely. He knows everything about us. He knows the things that the church is doing well in. He knows the things that the church is not doing well in. And he wants to speak to the things that he knows about. But Jesus is a really great leader. You know why? Because he brings the commendation before he brings the correction. He tells us the things that we're doing good in before he tells us the things we're doing bad in. And so let's hear the good. Verses two and three. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. So Jesus has a lot that he wants to commend this church for. Things that they were doing well in. First, Jesus says, I know your works. And all churches should know that we're not just to be hearers of God's word, but that we're to be doers of God's word. That we are to do good works in Jesus' name so that he is glorified through our lives. And, and, you know, works, what they are, they become the evidence that our faith in Jesus is real, that it's genuine. And we know that works don't save us. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift from God. But we know that a faith that saves is a faith that works. You know this church, right? We've been through the book of James together. And Jesus knows the works that we do. He knew how the saints in Ephesus worked hard in the ministry of the church. All of Asia heard about Jesus because of this church. And then Jesus said, I know your toil. Jesus says this because toil goes along with work, because toil means to work really hard. You know, the Greek word for toil can literally be translated to work to the point of exhaustion. Jesus can see when you labor hard for him when you are serving God and serving people with the work that you do, and that you do it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and you do it continually, even to the point of exhaustion. And that's actually something that Jesus encourages in the church. You know, we're only on this earth for a limited time, and we need to be about our Father's business. And Jesus is an example to us as one who worked really hard. Jesus toiled for the kingdom of God. I mean, consider how much Jesus accomplished in three years. Or the Apostle Paul who even said, I worked harder than all the other apostles. I love that statement, by the way. I worked harder than all the other apostles, yet... It was the grace of God that worked in me. So we need to work hard by the grace of God. Jesus commends toilsome work. He knows that discipleship is hard work. And then he says, "I know your patient endurance." Jesus knows that this race of faith that we're in that it's more like a marathon than it is a sprint. And so he can see how the church in Ephesus was patiently enduring even as they were facing persecution that was coming upon them. You know, when riots were starting because the sales of Diana trinkets were dropping and the disciples of Jesus persevered in faith when there was hard opposition against them and they wanted to drive them and their gospel out of that city, they were willing to suffer long for the sake of Jesus Christ. They had this long fuse of faith. And then he says, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil. Jesus knew and he could see the evil that was around the city of Ephesus. There were evil people doing evil things, all kinds of perverse sexual acts. You know how Diana was worshipped? Through temple prostitutes. All kinds of pagan practices all kinds of harm being done to children and to women and to good men, there were evil things in that city, evil beliefs and evil practices all around them and the church could not bear it and the church became a safe haven for people to escape the evil and the corruption of the world and rather than the evil of the culture influencing the church, the good of the church was influencing the evil of the culture as it should be, and as it was in Ephesus. And then he says, I know that you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, but found them to be false. There were those who wanted to come into the church with a different gospel, a message other than the teaching that was delivered to the apostles, the gospel that was according to the scriptures, from the witness and the testimony of the risen Christ, Paul the apostle, John the apostle, both of these men held fast and taught sound truth. And when Paul left Ephesus, he spoke to the elders of that city and he said, beware of false teachers. Because let's read it. Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to 30, he said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men who speak twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And listen, Jesus knew they stood against that in their church. They remained doctrinally sound. They tested those who were false, especially those who claimed to be apostles, but they were not. And Jesus says in verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently. You know, to say this twice should mean something to us. Jesus really does commend patient endurance within us. Because patient endurance shows that we are eager for the coming of Jesus and for his kingdom and that we're not settling for the world. We want heaven And they would endure until they had it. They would cling closely to sound doctrine. And Jesus said, I know you are bearing up for my name's sake. Again, they were holding the line. They were sticking to the truth. They were not swaying from the message of Jesus that was given in the word of God. They were gonna believe and teach God's truth from his word. They were gonna proclaim the name of Jesus even in the face of persecution. And when people wanted to hurl all kinds of false accusations against them on account of Jesus' name, they would bear up under it because they believed the word of God and the testimony of Christ. And finally, Jesus says, I know you have not grown weary. And look, by the looks in all your faces, that sounds like a lot. Because it is a lot. This church was doing a lot. And Jesus guaranteed that being a disciple would not be easy. In fact, he said that we will suffer for Jesus' sake, that we will have to die daily, that we would live these lives of crucified discipleship. And the believers in Ephesus could come to one another and they could say to each other, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And that is what the church in Ephesus was doing and Jesus knew it and he commended them for it. That sounds like a church you'd want to be part of, right? I mean, if anyone's going church shopping, perhaps that's a church that you would want to check out. <laughs> Maybe after this point, you're like, I might want to go church shop at the next one. Because, but, but look, if you're looking for a new church, those are qualities that you're looking for, right? I sure hope so. Morally pure. Doctrinally sound, holding up under persecution. The church in Ephesus is feeling pretty good about themselves at this point. This is a church you would want to visit. This is a church you'd want to be a part of. They're doing all these good works in Jesus' name, and Jesus commends them for it. But then verse four comes, and he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love of You had at first. Jesus knows this church. He knows all the good work that they are doing. He knows all the ways that they are holding fast to sound teaching. He knows all the ways that they're continuing to persevere in faith. He has One major thing against them though, and he is so strongly opposed to this one thing because as we'll see, they were missing the main thing. They had left their first love. Now listen, you're gonna have to sit under these words of Jesus for about five minutes. I've been sitting under them all week and I've been doing everything that I can to try to get out from underneath them. (laughs) but they just kept sitting on me. These words, you have left your first love and I've been examining my own love that I have for Jesus and and Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Is Jesus saying that to you this morning? Is Jesus saying that to me this morning? Does he say those words to us? You have left, not lost, you have left, abandoned your first love. See, we know that Jesus was asked this question and John would have been able to recall it. What is the greatest commandment Jesus was asked? Well, he responds in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse one through three, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The church in Ephesus had a lot of great things going for them. Morally pure, doctrinally sound, holding up under persecution. These things were wonderful and Jesus wanted them to keep doing those things. To keep bearing up under him for his name's sake. However, there was this great danger of negating all of those commendations if they did not correct this one thing, and that is to come back to their first love. To come back to the place where the one thing mattered to love God and to love others. You know, there's this story in the Gospels about two sisters. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving." And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You see, the church in Ephesus had become like Martha, and they forgot what it was like to be Mary. They were distracted with much serving. They were busy about so many things, and they were anxious and troubled about those things. They had so many things that they felt that they had to do for the Lord. Serve the community, keep the church pure, teach sound doctrine, Test those who are false and keep doing it all day, every day, until Jesus comes again. But they had missed one major thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said that the good portion is to sit with him, to be mesmerized by the love of Jesus. You know, before Jesus wants us to do anything for him, he just wants us to be with him. I tell myself this all the time and I've reminded myself this this week is that ministry must flow from intimacy. But we get so busy about the work that we end up thinking like Martha. Does Jesus even care that I'm over here toiling? Jesus was thankful for Martha's hard work but not at the expense of Mary's simple love. You know, the last church that I was in had a very simple vision. It was this. Love, love, love. That's it. What if I got up today and the only thing I said to you this morning was, Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's all I would say and just let's worship. Would that be enough for us? See, church, Jesus loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to keep us in this place. And I have been challenged this week and I pray that you're being challenged right now (laughs) because Jesus is using this letter for our church to bring us back to our first love. The love we had when we realized that Jesus washed away our sins by his blood. The love that we had when we discovered that prayer was just, direct access to God and we could talk to him about whatever we wanted. The the love we had when we discovered the power of his word to transform our lives. The love that we had when it wasn't about winning doctrinal debates but that the love we had was that we didn't know the difference between an epistle and an apostle. Apostle where it was pure and raw and simple. And yes, look, our love for Jesus does mature. It is meant to, we grow deeper in knowledge, we grow deeper in steadfastness. We will go through things that, that, that we had no clue we would go through when we first came to Christ. And, and we're gonna continue and yes, our love for Jesus matures and it grows and it deepens. But growing cold in love does not pass for maturity. See, as we mature in the love of God, our love deepens, but we can't forget our first love. You know, my wife, and Le- my wife Leah, when we first started dating, it was about a month into our relationship, she went to Columbia to visit her parents for two weeks. It might have been even longer than that, but she... She left me a letter every single day that she was gone. And, and she took this scarf. She used to wear scarves all the time, and she sprayed that scarf with just tons of her perfume, and she left that with me. And I would, every day, I'd open the letter, and I'd, I'd hold the letter, and I would read it, and I'd take this scarf, and I... Just, I'm so, I was so in love. And, and it... It was that love I had at first, and you know, my love for Leah is so much deeper now. You know, she was in Oregon this last week and she left no letters. (laughs) No scarf for me to smell. I didn't go into her closet and (sighs) But you know, my wife and I had a really wonderful night last night, just coming back to our first love. You know, I, I picked my wife up from the airport, and my <laughs> our first date, I, I brought her a single rose, because that's all I could afford, probably, and... <laughs> I happened to take my kids into the 99 cent store in Burbank before we picked her up. And we were walking the aisles and there was a single stem rose that was a chocolate, a Belgian chocolate. It was a nineteen. I was like, yes. <laughs> and I brought that with me to pick her up, you know, just because I'd been meditating all week on this first love. And, and so we, we get there and I'm all excited to give her. And, and my daughter's like, look, dad got you some chocolate. And I was like, oh, you ruined it, you know. <laughs> But you know, we had this great time talking about our love for Jesus and our love for one another. And we get so busy. We work so hard that we forget our first love. Our love for God, our love for one another. And what happened? What what needs to happen for us to get back to this place? Well, verse five, Jesus says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. And Jesus knew that the people would be able to recall to their mind what he meant by first love. And if nothing is registering in your mind when I say first love, Perhaps you haven't experienced this first love, and today you can. Today you can receive the love that comes from God, that comes to you by believing that Jesus loved you so much that he left heaven and came to earth, and he died on a cross to pay for your sins, and his blood forgives you and washes you clean of every single one of your sins. And that when he rose from the dead three days later, he did it to give you the promise of eternal life that begins the moment that you believe in him and will last for all of eternity when you live forever in his presence. And for those of us who already believe that message, the message of the gospel, does hearing that message still penetrate your heart? John would say in his epistle, do not run ahead of these teachings. And we want to be in this place where we're so thankful to Jesus because he's loved us so much that he has saved us. To remember the love we've had at first and for that love to be fanned back into flame because it has this capacity to grow cold. So what's getting in the way? Perhaps it's our work. We want to put work before relationship all the time. We become so legalistic. Paul said in Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You began in the spirit. Are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Remember the place where you were at when you started in your faith, where the love of Jesus was explosive in you and that love came out of you for others. Realize it, remember it, and come back to that place from which you have fallen. Repent, repent and do the work you did at first. And repentance is a beautiful gospel word. It's an invitation, an offering from God to come to our senses. Like, I've been coming to my senses this week that it's all about Jesus. That's it. It's not about a big, growing church. If you're, like, new here today and you're like, dude, why is this guy crying in front of me? (laughs) Like, if this church, for some reason or another, just cut in half and, like, half of you left, would it still just be about Jesus? I'm not here to play church. I'm here to love Jesus. And I want you to love Jesus. I want what they had on the days of Pentecost. When the gospel was proclaimed and people repented, and Peter said, when you repent, times of refreshment will come, and the Holy Spirit blew like the wind on the church. (laughs) What... This church was born out of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to make it about anything else, you guys. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to walk in the power of the Spirit. Nothing else. I have no idea how I'm going to do second service. (laughs) You guys. I just—I'm going to pray. (laughs) We'll talk about the Nicolaitans some other time. (laughs) Love you, Daniel. Daniel. Let me pray, and then we'll take communion together. (laughs) Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for the first love. And we surrender to you, Jesus. We want all of you, nothing else. We want you, Lord. We want to be mesmerized by the cross. Just flipping out with joy because of the resurrection. We want the Holy Spirit to be pulsating through our lives. Just in us and through us and all around us. We want love, love for you, love for one another, love for our wives, love for our children, love for our community. We want love. And God, help us to not get so busy about so many other things that we negate that one thing that matters. And it's you, Jesus. We love because you first loved us. God, we thank you for this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, the tables of communion are open to you guys and just however, thanks, Ben. (laughs) However the Lord leads you to respond to him right now, um, let's just pray over one another. Let's repent. Let's confess. Let's let's just come to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen.